Welcome to the Caged In podcast and this special bonus episode of a series I'm running called Caged In Interviews where I just talk to weird and wonderful people who in some way have had some connection to Cage and this week it is the amazing Mike Pearl. Mike has written a book called The Day It Finally Happens. I'm not going to talk about it too much in the intro throughout this episode and really really dive deep into some of the subjects of some of the chapters Um, but I implore that if you're interested in Mike's book, and I really, really, really do recommend it. I've been listening to it on audiobook. You can buy it from Amazon or wherever you get books from. It is a really interesting and fascinating look at just possibilities of what could happen if certain things were to happen in the world. I know that's a, a very lacklustre explanation, but Mike does a much better job of it in the podcast. So, Yeah, just sit back and enjoy this one and there'll be plenty more interviews to come in the future. Today I'm joined by Mike Pearl, uh, author of The Day It Finally Happens, Alien Contact, Dinosaur Parks, Immortal Humans and Other Possible Phenomena. How are you, Mike? Uh, You know, pretty as good as could possibly be expected under the the conditions we're all under. Well, yeah, you, you... your book kind of prophesized this in a in a weird way. How how does that make you feel? Uh, you know, well, it, I, if I if I had listened to a lot of the people that I talked to for the book, then I would have had a lot more food stored up in my shed. <laughs> I would have had way more ammunition. I, I think you know, it's like I feel I feel like I didn't I feel like I didn't listen to my own advice. Well, yeah, it's, it's 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 quite interesting. The uh, um, the writer of Contagion has recently been interviewed and asked about like the film Mirrors, what's going on right now, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm 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 not surprised." Like everyone I spoke to said, "This is exactly what will happen at some point, not a matter of when, uh, not a matter of like if. It's a matter of when it will happen." And every beat of that film has kind of come true in this weird i don't know weird weird time really isn't it like yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) i mean contagion it's crazy how like all that stuff about touching your face um you know that was in the movie ended up like uh playing into all of our lives ended up being our everyday reality well yeah that's that but obviously yeah i'm talking about the chapter the day antibiotics don't work anymore which obviously oh right we're this is is like that that's kind of how it's so prescient to what's going on right now in regards to yourself but like that's just one of many like topics you cover in this book um just kind yeah, of I mean, a, yeah yeah you go, you go ahead man <laughs> uh, uh, i'm glad you um highlighted that chapter um you know because it's like what what interested me when i started writing about the day that antibiotics don't work anymore was the idea that you know they're not going to be able to do, you know, if, if your if your diabetic grandmother um, needs to have her leg removed or something like that, then um, she's not going to be able to get that surgery anymore after antibiotics because, or when when antibiotics aren't usable anymore, just because they would normally a procedure like that they would normally um, pump you full of antibiotics to guarantee that you'll live through that amputation, and just the idea that like. A lot of what I guess, what I guess you would call like you know everyday infections, no, yeah, normal yeah. normal infections um, would become like uh, you know would go back to being you know you get a splinter you can die 
again. We're, you know, we're, we're you know we're we're used to the idea that like it, you know if you if you cut your if you if you're slicing an avocado and you cut your hand open and you need stitches or something like that, that injury is oh certainly not going to kill you and. <laughs> And when we lose antibiotics, we go back to a world where, you know, no, you really need to worry about that injury. Um, and that's what I was kind of focused on when I wrote that chapter. And just by kind, kind of by happenstance, um, people wanted to talk. With, that, I went in with that in mind and people wanted to talk to me about pandemics. <laughs> and, um, you know, because, because bacteria, this is not a bacterial pandemic. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, when you talk to epidemiology people, they're just like, well, we need to, there's a lot of, there are a lot, plague is a bacterium, and it's also a, a contagious pathogen. And in our minds, I don't think we kind of like make the connections and the divisions between bacteria and viruses. You know, bacteria are these giant things that like, you know, they hang around, they reproduce on their own. They're super different as, as organisms, but you know, when you're dying of one, <laughs> you don't care whether you're dying of a virus or a bacterium. So when I was writing that chapter, I ended up writing about pandemics. Like you said, the scientists were so eager to tell me how a pandemic was coming, you know? So I didn't set out, I didn't set out to predict this I didn't, <laughs> chapter wasn't about predicting that this was going to happen. So when you read it, it's not like it'll go blow by blow through this pandemic that we're going through. It's just that like, you know, when you really should have seen this coming because I was a guy who wasn't trying to write about a pandemic <laughs> yeah. and I wrote about one anyway. And you know, it was, it was out there. We should not be surprised that this happened. Well, it goes beats for beats with like a lot of the stuff like you kind of see like we should be worried about. Like you mentioned, like uh, presenteeism, like that kind of idea that without sick leave, we are just kind of putting ourselves out to this. And like to go back to the um, thing of contagion whilst uh, researching for that film, the writer said like that is one of the things they were told is without sick leave, like people will like just spread things so fast uh, and that's that's kind of what we're seeing i guess like for me as like a british person we've kind of got pres presenteeism mixed with this uh stiff upper lip of like uh keep calm and carry on so like we're we're, we're doubly fucked i guess <laughs> in a way <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you know, in the U.S., it's like we have presenteeism just because we have no social safety net. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you've got the dole such as it is, and we've got like nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got your fucked. Yeah. Um, and then and then in, in, in Japan and South Korea, they've got presenteeism just because, um, you know, I, I lived in South Korea for a year. And it's just that like, you know, you work 16 hour days just because you don't want to rock the boat. And yeah, yeah. They want you in there all the time. And, you know, <laughs> and so, and, and in South Korea, you show up with your sick, when you're doing your presenteeism, you do it in a surgical mask, at least. Yes. Within an hour learning, now we're learning that that helps. You know, what's funny is being in South Korea, um, when I, when I was, um, none of the foreigners would wear a mask it all it felt so weird it was like what do i think i'm, I'm just gonna walk around the street wearing a mask what am i a surgeon 
it looks weird i'm not (laughs) just don't do it and and boy has that ever changed you know well like i don't want to focus this whole because i guess everyone like listening's probably just got pandemic being shoved down their throats at the moment but there's there's, as i said this is one of many like chapters in this book one being uh one i've i've read the title and i was like that's that's some obviously it's the first chapter so so it helped but it's something i I really really wanted to uh read was the day the uk finally abolishes its monarchy yeah um which is it's something i i i personally call for a lot of the time because i I (laughs) yeah are you a republican well i just kind of see like it, it as a redundant uh prospect in the way that like like you you bring up the point in your book about like um the people who should be fearful of the the lack of monarchy in this country are uh, people working in tourism. Uh, right. I found a really interesting point, but that, like a counterpoint to that, just like obviously not to you've done the research, but I, I look at France and like they still have the castles and like the they have all the stuff that the monarchy used to own. People still go there. Legit, I mean, we we won't lose windsor castle if we get rid of the monarchy like if anything it'll probably bring more people in because we can turn them into like heritage sites or like people can actually look inside as opposed to going oh the queen lives in there (laughs) yep exactly i mean the the classic example is you know um tenman square and Mm -hmm. um all all of the like everything in beijing used to be that used to be all the emperor's stuff and uh and now and now like that's still what everybody wants to see because now it's Mao's stuff and um and like you know the the but the counterpoint to that was that there i was in the i was in windsor because i wanted to see the crowds around the queen because i needed to talk to them and they were all there uh they had just they had just spent money on train tickets to go to windsor to see the queen on easter and uh and and then i and then i met up uh, a mother and her daughter who had flown in from florida wow. because they um you know they they knew that they couldn't afford to see the the um the, the upcoming royal wedding at the time the one between uh, megan and harry they were like oh we're just hoping that we'll see him uh, on easter and um they didn't they didn't show up to church that day um you know but they got to see uh they got to see uh uh the other one <laughs> they got to see um they got one to see the, they got to see one of them <laughs> they got to see, yeah, somebody royal was there yeah, yeah. perfect uh, yeah. and and um you know they so they were there they were they were spending the money I, but is that a but it but is <laughs> is you know is the fact that like people show up from florida and you know fly into Luton Airport and stay in an Airbnb is that like is that worth a system of government (laughs) is it worth that being the basis of your system of government basically well it's 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 not though the the royal family in this country don't don't actually uh govern any anything really they just they they're just kind of there obviously we have like uh we have a like we have um yeah, like uh, politicians that we, so we have political parties that run the country, but the I I, I like I'm obviously not coming as somebody who knows what's going like knows all about it. I'm no expert in any way, but like it's more of a thing that like in times like now, especially like in a time of crisis, they wheel out the the queen to kind of like let the people know like ah you're gonna be all right. 
even if that may not be the case, she's kind of just like a state figure to 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 yeah. tell us at tell us on Christmas Day and in the times of panic, like you're going to be all right. And it's it's, yeah. it's a it's a very bizarre construct, I guess. It's, right, but like you know, if if but like if you look at if you look at the, if you look at the system oh, the way that like mm-hmm. Graham Smith of Republic wants you to look at it, yeah. you know, then then he then he says this, and it, and I'm actually kind of persuaded by it. That guy, by the way, Graham Smith of Republic, God love him. He's not very charismatic. He just goes on to <laughs> your he just goes on to your your like talk shows eaten alive by much more charismatic and better spoken tv hosts and stuff like that they're just like here's a guy who hates the queen and then they have him on and then they tell him off and then there he goes (laughs) and then nobody has to think about it at all um uh you know you know he makes the argument that and it's probably one that is not news to anybody who's listening to this (laughs) but you know it's just like you look at um prince charles's history of investments you know and his his biases clearly inform the the actions that he will prefer parliament take when he's king down the line. And so people know, people know what people, you know, he, he bestows titles upon people and people want those titles. And so, you know, how you will, you know, what behavior will sort of win you these forms of approbation and, and, and acclaim and, and, and that is a form of power. And that is a form of, that is a valuable, type of um of of kind of power that, that affect the way that the government is run so you know it's it's not that the royals have no power they yeah. they have rubber stamp power but you know it, it comes to and then this is what i talk about in the book this this is sort of this is like do they have no power because here's a question if you um if parliament takes action to yeah remove the if to to become a republic and then they have an act of parliament that's done it's signed it's approved they have to then take that for assent so yeah, to yeah. whoever the monarch is do they then rubber stamp it because they, they if they rubber stamp it they're done you know they can do they actually make that move do they end do they end the the k in uk for all time yeah we, well we had a very like um weird moment at the start of the year this year where our current prime minister lied to the queen about um the 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 fun the fun thing that we had to distract us from everything before this pandemic which was brexit yeah brexit Uh, was a nice distraction for a while yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i i don't know where if we're going to pick up with that once uh once all this has blown over but um yeah there was a whole thing that obviously like yeah uh, boris johnson had lied to the queen about like Oh, th- these are my plans when like they weren't at all so yeah you are right in that yeah there is i'm probably i'm probably speaking on things that i probably don't know that much about which is all, 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 always like case but that's why i speak to people like you who have done done the research and <laughs> yeah, looked well, into these things um i i you know i, I feel i felt a bit bad weighing in because i'm i'm american yeah. therefore i have this sort of like inherent bias they teach us they teach us from like you know when we're in first grade they teach us that the king of england was a real bastard and we kicked his ass and now we have a country and um so like you know so i went into it i went to it i went into it sort of with that in mind like i have to i have to be as open-minded as i possibly can to the idea that maybe having a monarch in charge of everything is is great and, and the only and the 
and the the best thing I could say about a monarch is you have somebody who's raised to be good at like shaking hands and being nice to foreign dignitaries and (laughs) that person is the head of state of your country who all dignitaries you know that's that's who they're going to meet and our person is whatever dickhead we you know uh, we feel like electing that year and it can be somebody who really really sucks at you know shaking hands and being nice to not shaking hands anymore but being nice (laughs) to foreign dignitaries and stuff like that we have right now yes yes yes, yeah yeah. very very interesting time to be talking i I guess about about this kind of stuff Uh, yeah i guess uh, i'm not sure when this would go out but this is within the week of i I guess we'll be at some point it will be uh branded as bleach gate uh in in the in the in the near in the near to distant future i guess uh yeah yeah uh, but i will say this about donald trump (laughs) He, he um he and believe me i am not a donald trump voter but um but like you know you you watch the news and you see like the you see pundits on cnn and msnbc kind of poo-pooing every possible uh potential harebrained cure and and crazy elixir that's going to cure coronavirus and um and and like i'm I'm, my my faith is in science and and modern medicine but i desperately want it to turn out that eating toothpaste cures coronavirus so that we can so that this can all be done you know (laughs) like when 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 like like you know as a as a as a good coastal media elite person i am supposed to look at all of those people who are injecting themselves with bleach with such disdain but it's like no i i get it yeah (laughs) i want this to be over (laughs) yeah i've got friends of mine who um who saw that like saw an article headline that just read like france is doing studies to see if nicotine like is fights against coronavirus and they're like all of a sudden it's like this 20 day of habits going up to 40 because it's like if this yeah. is gonna kill it let's 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 get going like I know. oh god i mean i quit smoking if i could go back to smoking and say like no it's good now yeah like that would be the best <laughs> I love that. so um yeah with like i guess how would you like i i hate to do this but how would you kind of like sum up like the elevator pitch for your, for your book basically for people for people at home who kind of want to want to maybe take oh we've dived in a little bit on two of the chapters but how would you it's like it's a it's a um a collection of hypothetical future scenarios that um really could happen and i sort of describe them in terms uh i describe them in the terms that i personally think are most plausible or interesting and then i work backwards to sort of explain why i've given you that scenario so it's a mix of fiction and fact each one starts usually with like a little kind of short story or something like that and then i sort of use um research uh, a lot of time spent at the library a lot of interviewing people a lot of travel around the world i went to i went to the uk i went to india i went all over the place trying to find the answers to the, the answers to like what these things would be like and so that includes the day we talked about the one about the uk we talked about the one about antibiotics not working anymore there's one about the last fish in the ocean dying. There's one about um, the U.S. banning all guns. Um, and so these are not all things that I think will happen, but I sort of presuppose that they will for each chapter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I work backwards from that assumption, sort of explaining what that day 
would feel like what would be good what would be bad what would it feel like what would it smell like what would you experience so you know you can say that you feel emotionally prepared for all of these things because god knows no matter how much no matter how many people went out there and saw contagion nobody was actually prepared yeah, yeah, yeah. for this that we're going through right now but you know maybe you were a little bit more emotionally maybe you were glad you saw it because you got a little preview and that's what i hope i can offer with my book well like you mentioned at the like beginning of your book that like uh, part of part of the reason for kind of tackling this uh, maybe I got it wrong but, but like part of the reason for tackling these subjects and kind of it's from a place of like anxiety almost like an anxiety and fear and like fight it like coming head on with your own with your own like fears of the world like do you do you think has, has it has it has it helped you has it helped you right in this book to kind of tackle like those fears um you know my 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 this is what I've been doing for, for years now is yeah. sort of like um, taking these topics and, and figuring out what would happen. And it is because at the beginning, I mean, it was because I'm a person with an anxiety disorder. Yeah. I get panic attacks, I get nightmares and um, researching the thing, researching my phobias. And I'm a person, I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm one of those knowledge is power people yeah. other people aren't you know i've had people read it and say like i had to drop it. i had to put it down <laughs> it was scary you know which is like which is cool to hear as an author like you love to hear that somebody was like so scared of your book that they had to put it down or something yeah like i that. guess it's the same as like directors finding like oh, my film was so shocking like people yeah. walked out of the cinema yeah. Like, yeah. um it makes you feel cool but it's like but but i've also had people a lot of people have read it and said like oh soft stuff didn't scare me at all oh, i heard it all before which is bullshit because I, I there's like stuff in my book that's not in <laughs> any other journalistic source um but uh you know uh your mileage may vary on how scary stuff actually is you know oh. it goes it, it, it covers it covers things that would be nice like the abolition of all slavery for all time <laughs> and it goes into like the heat death of the universe in the epilogue so it covers the gamut very topics and you know if you if you come away if you come away kind of scared or anxious my wife got kind of got scared or scared and anxious by it then that's one acceptable reaction to it and apparently another acceptable reaction to it is to be like the 14 year old big brother at the state fair going like, Man, it wasn't scary at all yeah. <laughs> well like i like when you agreed to do this uh, interview, I kind of like was like right, and I know it was like I need to I need to like dive head head on into this book and kind of like at least like li like I I, I listen to audio books, so at least listen to some of it or get get my head like get my head around it, and then kind of listen to the to the forward and was like oh like because I'm prone to like catastrophizing a lot of the time. Like I've, I'm also like yeah. I'm, I'm there on a spectrum of like anxiety and like, but I've passed like this should be and this should be the worst time to possibly, or like some could say to listen to listen to read or listen to your book. But I personally found it like, and I've heard even the coronavirus itself. Like I've never been so calm, um, just because I guess my years of panic and worry and thinking about like what is the worst that can happen uh in a way has kind of one of those i don't know it has ha it, it has happened like do you know what I mean? like if that makes sense i i don't know like I kind of 
I, it does make sense. I mean, I'm, that's very nice. What I'm curious, like which what 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 part were you listening to when you felt especially like calm? Um, just the, no, just in that like, or this this situation that we're all in is making you feel calm. Yeah, just like kind of, and and I I would normally ingest what I was reading, it, like in regards to your book. A lot of the time, then I would take it away and then just like kind of let it wash over me and just panic me and lay, lay laying awake going oh shit yeah the oceans like, i really need to get out there like i really need to like throw in all the like getting rid of all the plastic in my house being like that's it i'm going totally sustainable i'm doing whatever i need to do to kind of whereas like now obviously i'm not just i'm not buying more plastic that's not the that would be the opposite to that but like it was like right no i can kind of like could deal with this and i guess it's a two-part pronged effect of living in this time where it's like well everything is kind of a, a bit crazy and i don't know this has been a real a real knock on the door for me for my anxiety and that like it's not like it, i, I, it, I probably i don't know this is probably something i should be speaking to my therapist about not, not an interview well, guest, i mean yeah. i think i think i can i think i can address what you're talking about yeah. exactly i mean you know when it comes to um reading reading like uh i don't know i don't know exactly what to call it catastrophe journalism or or um you know stuff about how like stuff where the thesis of what you're reading yeah. is like everything is bad and and all of it has to change and every and we're all bad um <laughs> when you read those kinds of pieces of journalism um they either say they sort of say like like when you read about climate change and there's yeah. there's um there's not one specific chapter on climate change in the book it's just sort of a theme that sort of like runs throughout the entire book which that was one thing that i had in mind when i wrote it because climate change is not a day when it finally happens because that already happened yeah, yeah it's always <laughs> happening um so uh you know w when it comes to reading about that issue there's this tendency that journalists have to sort of say at the end of whatever the piece is you know talked about how like all oh, 99 of all species <laughs> go extinct you know uh, <laughs> in a week and um it's all your fault you person reading this and, um and uh <laughs> yeah they're right <laughs> um but like uh then then at the end they say like oh and we need to uh, we need to move toward more sustainable energy sources or whatever it is you know yeah. <laughs> you buy more reusable plastics <laughs> something like that and you read it and you're just like well that's obviously bullshit if i if i if i if i switch to all renewable energy if i put solar panels on my home it's not going to stop this problem like that's that's clearly not the answer the answer is something where we have to do things that are so uh disruptive to the status quo that like you're gonna see it yeah. when you walk out in the street you're gonna see that the, that the change is happening you know Greta Thunberg you know said one of the things she said was that like when she learned in school how bad climate change was then she, she was she was shocked to find out yeah. that this was how bad it was because she was like why don't I see out in the streets why don't I see it changing you know what I do it, it's this is all going on as normal they're driving cars yeah. what's <laughs> what are you doing and like that was sort of what like sent her into a, a 
like almost like a almost like into a comatose state for a while before she became the activist that we all know today. Um, and uh, and so I say all that to say that like when we when we read all of these things and kind of become powerless, it's like it's like I think something snapped in all of our brains when we were reading about this pandemic in January. We were just like, oh. <laughs> Well, you know, like Adam Curtis, um, uh, the documentarian Adam Curtis, he has that he has that oh dear thing the, that like when you when you read something, uh, then then as you're a, a passive consumer of journalism, you read it and say oh dear, and then move on <laughs> with your life, and that's your role in this is just to consume journalism and and move on. It's not like you're supposed to like change the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's not what happened with this one. We didn't get to all just read about the pandemic that was going like, oh, things are bad in China. Oh, dear. And then all of a sudden things are bad where you are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you can't just say, oh, dear, you got to not leave. Um, and so this was an example of something where like, you know, it it arrived. It showed up. It rang your doorbell. It <laughs> it really it said hello to you. You you didn't. There was no cognitive dissonance between reading about it in the newspapers and looking out in the street. You can look out in the street and see this pandemic. Yeah. It's out there, and um, and so it's like okay. So back to climate change. Like you'd you know you. I can't tell you what the exact connection is. How these two issues dovetail. What are we going to see? Like nobody driving. Like how does that work exactly? And I couldn't answer the question, but what I will say is that like, when we're actually doing something about it, when we're doing the equivalent of yeah. social distancing for climate change, it'll be like this because you will look out the window and see that it's happening. So you won't, you will no longer have that feeling that nothing is happening, that nothing is being done. So, I mean, I think like having, having a world event happen and then having it ring your doorbell sort of is teaching us that we're we we actually are in the same world as the news yeah, and yeah. it can actually show up at your house and that i think is the therapy for us all like maybe we're all kind of more emotionally ready to deal with things like the things in my book um yeah. when when the time finally comes that was a long monologue no, uh, no. And, and i'm done no no so what was the genesis of the book like when did you like when did you first get the idea that the and like how did you come upon these being the things that like you say climate change is something that runs throughout the book which like you do get like you talk about like the degree how how much the degrees of the earth, and just a lot of the issues kind of whether it's the oil like the when will when will the last barrel of oil be used or thing of like fish like fishing and stuff like all of these things will affect just our kind of mass farming of fish like obviously do affect climate change and stuff like that but yeah what how did you come a, come about these these were the definite things like i guess some people like some of the titles are a bit more light-hearted like the day we get a real jurassic park like, <laughs> like but like yeah, yeah. Where, where's well the i mean it was it was it it was all of the things that i'm that i kind of think about all the time it's like <laughs> I like I have a personality where I don't think I don't like to just sort of I don't like to do the Adam Curtis thing and just go oh dear like yeah. I like to go I like to go like when somebody says like and then then there'll be a pandemic so think about that then I'll say like okay but like and then there's a pandemic so then what 
happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? I'm just that's my personality. Um, you know, heat death of the universe that sounds real bad. Like, so what if we're there and the heat death is happening? So, like, what do we what do we get? Yeah, like, yeah. what happens to my body when the heat death is like you know, um, like I just I, that's how I treat these things. I want to know the I want to know the ending of the movie whatever people are describing i just i want yeah, yeah. To, like it's gonna be really bad how bad tell me <laughs> the whole thing um so it was just that that instinct to just know the whole thing um to not just leave it at the ellipses like it's gonna be bad just so give that some thought <laughs> just like to, to to um take it a step further so let's just like all of these issues that like i you know the jurassic park one is that's a good example because like um you know that move when that movie came out uh or when that movie and book came out when i was in third grade um it was all very much like you know there were there were it was such a big blockbuster movie that there was like a tv special per day like the real jurassic park <laughs> and, happened. and um and they were all really dumb um well they weren't all really dumb it's just that like they didn't the people doing that research didn't do even the amount of research that Michael Crichton did to write the fictional book. And so they didn't really, they didn't really like give it any thought, you know, it would just, it would, it would be as, it would be as unthought out as somebody just kind of going like, well, you know, actually dinosaurs are extinct. They're all dead. So, you know, like, (laughs) like, you know, it was just sort of like the, the sort of like, the sort of like actually things are not like they are in fiction this is this is not we're in the world which is non-fiction <laughs> things aren't like fiction here so no and you know i've just never been i've just never been sort of like satisfied with yeah. <laughs> with that kind of like dismissive like mm, let's be grown-ups thing that um that i think like that things like i usually are you know like debunker articles or, or things like yeah. that which which does which does sort of like sometimes drive me toward like conspiracy websites and the show ancient aliens and stuff like that you know but like i have a i have a, i have a i still have a reality filter like, don't worry i i i go there i i think i i like to think i can sift out what's uh what's meaningful and useful when i'm in those kinds of places so i kind of wanted to write something that was uh not so sort of like dismissive and oh let's be adult about all of these topics that you know what interest me that I think um, other other sort of like books and their articles and things like that were um, were handling in a way that I found like dismissive and boring and dumb. What, when did you start? Like you said, you've always uh, wrote, written articles about this kind of topic and the things that make you scared. Uh, where was it? Like where were you? Like before, obviously the book. Like uh, what what publication were you writing the? okay (laughs) for vice yeah i was working at vice (laughs) and uh and and like i didn't always i wasn't always able to write things like this i mean i didn't i didn't know i could i had a column i i started out writing just about like like the world the world around me in la and like like i wrote this my first article that ever wrote freelance for vice when they first started um taking when they first when they first rolled out vice.com as a 
as a publication online with its own editorial staff. Um, they, uh, they opened an LA office around that same time and they hired editors. And I was just like, oh, I like that magazine. If they're going to have editorial on their website, I want to write for them. I didn't have, I was, I worked in advertising. I was nobody. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was like, I had no, I, I didn't even major in journalism. I majored in screenwriting. I just, I was just like, that sounds fun and I want to do it and it would be better than the job I have. And so I wrote, I immediately wrote an article about like one about LA, just about some like ridiculous municipal projects that were going on where they were like selling LA kind of landmark buildings. And I found yep. it really funny. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then the second article that I wrote was this really sort of like sarcastic article about Earth Day and about how like Earth Day is, um, it's it's Earth Day, and then I wrote about a bunch of the horrible, like total despair-inducing things that were <laughs> happening in the world at the uh, like around Earth Day. Like, yay! Um, so that was not a very mature. Neither of those were very mature articles. <laughs> These things are depressing, and that kind of makes me laugh in a dark way. Um, and like you know, and and I slowly found my way into like that kind of thing. That kind of like this is a bummer, and that's funny um thing was a path that i kind of followed until i eventually had a full-time job there and then i would say i would say questions in story meetings like you know what is it like like what's the day like when kim jong when kim jong un like sends a nuclear missile over to la and like what what happens then you know and that was and and they were and they were just like yeah i don't know can you write about that and i was like i don't know maybe and then i tried it and it worked and um i became the guy who does that whatever that is and um and then i did i did a million of those kinds of articles well yeah which, which kind, of, kind of brings me to it sounds like this could have been one of your like uh pitches uh what happens when we interview Nicolas Cage uh, just with Nicolas Cage quotes, uh, which yeah. like is or, like. In Eventually this had to be a Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But like what, what, like what I like to do with this podcast is just speak to people from so many different uh, walks of life and just find out about like what they do. And then just at some point in their life, there's been this intersection with uh, Nicolas Cage, whether it be, um, yeah, like uh, tomorrow I'll be speaking to a software designer who has a, I'm not sure, I'm not even sure how it works. That's why I'm speaking to him, but he has a thing where he can use the kind of GPS in your phone. And he had, he showed me a five minute presentation where he had, you log onto a website and if you move your phone, it uses like the axis and the GPS and it moves a picture of Nicolas Cage on screen. So it's those kind of, <laughs> oh, I, I okay. want to meet, I want Sounds to, good. yeah, I want to meet those kind of people, I guess. I don't, I how guess he, just, how he touches the lives of exactly, yeah, and, and, various and, people in so many walks of life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, uh, again, I don't know when, the, when this will go out, but like, I have plans to talk to a historian and tour guide from New Orleans to kind of find out what makes it such a crazy and appealing place for Nicolas Cage. And this guy... Have you been to New Orleans? Have you been no, to... No, no, unfortunately... Cemetery, I think it's Cemetery 
four where his pyramid is yeah so this the, 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 i i found this guy just from being like first of all i was like i want to speak to the person who built that built that mausoleum and then i was like i couldn't i couldn't find a name and then this guy was quoted in an article uh rob florence is his name was quoted in an article that said um all about the conspiracy theories around why it's a pyramid is it is it yeah, yeah. N- nicholas cage is a part of the illuminati is it just a nod to the national treasure films exactly. um, oh. so so yeah obviously this would eventually come full set well come round to Nicolas Cage so how did how did that article come about was it just one of these kind of I don't know like as you said like blue sky thinking just oh how about we do this it's it's one of those ideas so dumb that advice you have to do it um like you know you get you get um you get all kinds of PR emails from all sorts of people when you when you work at a publication like that and you just ignore most of them because <laughs> you just can't use it. It's just like, hi, I'm from, you know, uh, I'm from, I'm from NBC and our new show has a brand tie in with Colgate and we would like to, you to write about it. And we're just like, no, there's nothing <laughs> for us to say. Um, and you just and you just have to ignore most of them and they know you're going to ignore most of them and it's just like they want they all want to have these relationships with the with the media because that's free advertising and so you know uh he was one of the people who um the pr email like when it hit my inbox i was just like i want to do this (laughs) (laughs) uh, like i i don't have any idea how i can get our publication done an interview with Nicolas Cage about his movie Dog Eat Dog but I still want to do it and so um because I have to because I have to pitch you know these more sort of like expansive things that are harder work than just like I want to just talk on the phone to Nicolas Cage and have that be my job for the day um and so you know I had to I I included it in a long list of pitches like I want to talk on the phone to Nicolas Cage somebody wants me to talk on the phone to Nicolas Cage and I want to do it. And my editor, you know, in, mixed in with all these things about yeah. you know, North Korea and stuff. And, um, and my editor at the time, Jamie Tate, uh, who is brilliant, um, you know, was just like, yeah, 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 you want to talk on the phone to Nicolas Cage. Like, how do you justify that? And I was like, maybe I prank him somehow. Maybe I, uh, or maybe I do something stupid or something like that. And there was just like a back and forth for a while. Just like, they were just like, just like, you know, okay, I could, because advice you, you like, you, you, the way that we, like, we're all idiots, and we know what we, what kind of garbage we would click, because it's just like this, I've got to know, like, what did this person do, and because we know what we would click, we, I think most of us there, this was in, like, I don't know what year this was, like, 2016, yeah, yeah, 2016, so, you know, at the, at the time, it was kind of a different place at the time, it was a lot, there's a lot more sort of poop stuff there at the time, <laughs> And, you know, and, and, you know, like we were, we all read a lot of Bud, BuzzFeed listicles and we were all sort of, none of, none of us have a very good maturity level. And so we know what kind of, we know, we know what kind of stupid stuff would get our attention and that's the stuff that we write. And um, so it, there was just this back and forth for a while, like what would, what headline would get our attention, you know? And it was actually his idea 
like like but but in but in the following way just like well there's no way that you could like interview him using only Nicolas Cage quotes and I was like no I yeah I could do that I could do that you know just like it was it was him who it was he he threw it out there dismissively and and me just wanting to interview Nicolas Cage and have that and I wanted a lazy day at work I was just like yes if that will work I will make that happen and so um yeah, because it essence, ended up being. <laughs> in essence, it could be quite an easy thing because the guy has close to a hundred films as somebody who's working his way through all of them. Like, like so, you probably could like if you wanted to play it safe, you probably could have played it. It's probably plenty of times in movies that he said "Hello, how are you?" or like right. he's actually right. just asked people about their day or like asked any questions. But well, that's the that. thing about yeah. that's the thing about clickbait though right because yeah, yeah. like you if if you clicked it and the questions were just hello how are you then you'd be like um no 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 you want you want, you want someone taking the taking a, a bit more of a dare and obviously right. you say it like yeah yeah so then it ended up being kind of hard work because i because you're exactly right i so then i start going through his his um his entire like you know filmography looking for like famous uh Famous quotes that he put in movies that were in the form of a question, you know. Um, so, like, uh, th so this thing that I was supposed to be easy ends up being really hard yeah. because then I have to. Um, so I have to watch the movie Dog Eat Dog, which did you did you see it yet? I had that that no, I'm watching them in chronological order. Um, okay, that, so you'll get to what, it kind of late. Okay, that is that is what I'm looking forward like looking forward to in a way just because it's the um the holy trinity of nicholas cage willem dafoe and uh is it paul schaefer directing so yeah, it's yeah. gonna be i i know i know it's i mean and be... it's it's like i mean he you did you see first reformed recently no it's a one on my list all this time inside yeah. i know i should be i know i should be watching it because uh i like I like uh, Ethan Hawke and I, and I like A24, but that means nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so Paul Schrader has been like, I don't know, it's it's he's got a good streak going. Yeah, yeah. Doggy Dog, Doggy Dog is this sleeper that nobody saw that to me was like, it, <laughs> I was really glad I signed up to like um, interview him about this particular movie because it was so, it's like such a Nicolas Cage yeah yeah well so it's a really really insane movie and it doesn't look that insane just from the trailer but he you know he makes it <laughs> insane they both they both make things that don't seem crazy i mean that's both that trader and nicholas cage both i'm glad they i'm glad that you know that well this is that those two those two uh streams came together because like it was a delightful experience well this felt like dog eat dog is actually um a response to uh, Dying of the Light uh, was directed by Paul Schrader and uh, studios kind of got in the way and compromised the film against Paul Schrader's like vision for it. So Dog Eat Dog was them going, fuck the studio system. We just want to make a like balls to the wall, all out grotesque film. Uh, like you know what do you know what I mean we don't we don't want to hold back and we just want to go crazy with it we want cage up to 11 <laughs> i did not know that story and that makes perfect sense <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that really is what it is you know and so um and and like and so because of that i kind of i, I was like oh i'm gonna i am 
gonna get away with this because like so i have this one question on here that is a uh so he, he says in ghost rider how does it feel to have all of that evil inside of you all of that power all i had to do was because his character in the movie is so insane all i had to do was say dog eat dog how does it feel to have all of that evil inside of you, all of that power and and he just he like went into he just answered the question it ended up being uh it just ended up being like uh a, a, a fairly normal interview question so i was kind of able to get away with it it took me hours of going through like all of these <laughs> Nicolas cage like you know all of the closed caption uh for like all of his movies that he had ever done just like just like apple off question mark looking <laughs> for his character asking a question and then and 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 exactly i didn't just i didn't as yeah. whenever possible i didn't just want it to be like you know how are you you know yeah. there is the one that where i said in the rock i guess we better get going don't you <laughs> <laughs> like like that was that was kind of a that was kind of a throwaway to just to sort of kick things off um but yeah so like that was that was sort of how i structured the interview so do, do at any point do you think he like cottoned on to what you were doing did he like i thought he would at the end so <laughs> so uh I, he didn't i'm pretty sure he didn't and i was and i was pretty sure he would at the end and so like um i entertained the idea of finishing the interview with um my with one of my favorite quotes uh because i thought when i said I thought when I when I closed it off, I said, um, "Do you think fish have dreams?" Which is something he said in Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, and and like I just said it out of the blue, and I thought he'd be like, "Aha, all right, I remember saying that in Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans." He didn't. He <laughs> he gave me a speech about how how he thinks that fish maybe do have dreams. He had a whole like story that he wanted to tell me when I asked him that question, and I was just flabbergasted. <laughs> listening to him tell this story about fish that I had just prompted. So like, I thought it was over and like, I, like I thought the interview, I thought the interview was over and I had it like, I had it in my head to transition from him going like, um, yeah, that was a pretty crazy movie quote, which was the answer that I thought he was going to give me. Like, ah, I see what you've been doing. Like I thought the gig would be up by then. And, um, and and it wasn't. Instead, he answered the question straight. So then I couldn't transition to the question I wanted to ask, which was going to be from The Rock, which is um, my favorite Nicolas Cage movie quote that ends with a question mark, which is, how in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of the cell? Um, and I didn't get to ask him that because like, it just was it just would have been so weird <laughs> out of the blue since he had answered the previous question. Um, so normally, like I, I, on, on my deathbed, I will regret that I did not say <laughs> Cage, how in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of the cell? Um, but, you know, that was just how it that was just sort of how it shook out. I feel like of all actors, though, he's the he's the perfect person to have done that to just not just that. Obviously, there's such a wealth of material to go to go through, but just in that, like you say, like looking at it now the um yeah the kind of monologue he went on about fish having dreams is is just like the the almost the thing of legend that we hear of Nicolas Cage that he is this kind of nouveau shamanic like yeah 
He's Quite, amazing. Yeah, He's so amazing. It's, it's, I loved him so much in that moment when he was saying that fish thing. I was just like, <laughs> you truly, truly, you are the national treasure, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to put the um, the article in the show notes as well as uh, like links to your book and where people can buy it and li- um, listen to it however they want to ingest what you've written yeah yeah please i um, mean people people have responded very well to the audiobook so if you want if you want to get the audiobook i recommend it it's read by me so it's this voice you're hearing right now <laughs> yeah that's that's one of that's one of the things i just kind of i've recently got like back into listening to audiobooks and like i hadn't even i hadn't even thought about it with your book and i'm normally like put off when it's not the not the not the author themselves and like as somebody who's listened to it who isn't the author i can say it is a really good listen and i imagine it'd be a fantastic read and it's i found it really handy as well you um there's a pdf that comes with the audiobook that kind of like with great great illustrations for each like chapter heading and kind of graphs in there and stuff like that yeah and a board game yeah (laughs) amazing well uh i'll let you i'll let you go mike i'll let you get on with what you've got to do but um before before you go is there any way people can like keep up to date with like your articles and stuff like that and like yeah sure check me out on twitter.com i'm (laughs) at mike lee pearl you can you can find me there and this was really fun i really appreciated uh you know being here this is uh i had a great time the pleasure is all mine mike this is uh this has been another bizarre conversation in (laughs) the best way possible how was that for you guys because i had so much fun recording it it was a really good chat yeah i just really hope you guys uh took away from it what 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 i kind of took away from it that mike is just a great mind and he's got so many interesting things to say about so many interesting things unlike me because i just said that sentence so many interesting things about so many interesting things but it's true uh (laughs) so i'll let it slide but anything as i said in the episode anything that mike mentions whether it's his book or the article he wrote for vice the fantastic uh interview which i i remember seeing in 2016 and it always stuck with me and when i first um started this podcast i i reached out to mike but kind of at that time didn't really have the confidence or just the drive to to follow up all these ideas that i had and i'm so glad that however many years later like three yeah three four years later that we managed to connect and talk about that amazing interview because otherwise i would never have heard of his initial plans and i'm kind of glad i got to speak to speak to him when i did because i wouldn't have got to talk about how great his book is and share that with with you guys so yeah if you do get a hold of the book or get turned on to any of that please um hit me up like I'd, I'd love to discuss some of the things that i talked about in it with some of you guys so as of next wednesday we'll be back to normal with just regular broadcasting uh this time it will be talking about season of the witch so tune in for that one just for uh, a conversation between me and my good friend joe gardner of tonight with podcast uh well yeah we'll be talking about that and as always you can keep up to date with what's going on with all things caged in on social media so that's at caged in on uh, facebook and twitter and uh caged in pod at gmail.com for the emails or you can support the podcast on patreon um for yeah as little or as much as you want uh it doesn't matter it's just just 
all I really want is money to cover the uh, hosting fees for the podcast. Uh, apart from that, like, I don't know, any extra money I get would be great. Like, um, I'd love to be able to print some t-shirts or just any cool, cool things we can do like that. Just anything I can do really to give back to you guys. Uh, so, yeah, as always, Petroflat Cinemas, Caged In Podcast. You've been rad. I've been Caged In. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.